this wasn't such a beautiful pulpit. It's all solid wood. I, I would think it needs to be another two feet for all this stuff we got up here. Well, we're continuing our series in what we believe, and this Sunday we're going to talk about the sanctity of life. And so here's what our statement of faith says that we believe about the sanctity of life. God created all people in his image, giving dignity and value to every single human life despite its stage of development. God alone is the Lord of life. From its beginning to its end. Let's pray. God, I'm excited to exhort your word right now. Um, but I want it to be your word and not mine. And Lord Jesus, I just ask that um, seed of truth would go from my mouth into fertile soil of all the listeners. And that you would cause the seed to grow. Would you do that? Lord, this morning, would you change me? Would you change all of us to know you and worship you with all of our hearts? I love you, Lord, and I praise you, and I ask that all glory and honor would be focused on you as it is magnified through us. In your name, amen. Do anyone of you recall what um, significant event happened on January 30th? 1933. Huh? <laughs> How about February 2nd, 1939? Or 34? Did you do history? You're a history professor. Okay. You <laughs> okay, here's one that everyone's going to know. How about December 8th, 1941? Bombing of Pearl Harbor. December 7th, December 8th is when we went into World War II. Here it goes. <laughs> I prepped for this. <laughs> okay, the first date that I mentioned, um, now everyone's looking to see that I said the right dates for the other one. January 30th, 1933 was the day that Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. The second date that I mentioned, July 2nd, 1934, was known as the Night of the Long Knives when he orchestrated the murder of some 85 different people who were standing in his way of the Nazi um, party. And he declared himself the supreme judge of the German people at that time. And he began a raging force of destruction and evil genocide and, and elevated the Aryan race far above all other races throughout the world. And World War II began... On September 1st, 1939, Germany invaded Poland. And then we finally entered the war in 1941. It took less than a decade for the Nazi party to rise to power. You know, I routinely watch the different war documentaries, and I am just fascinated by how quickly um, not only did Hitler become powerful, but how much the people loved him and they feared him. They looked at him as their savior. And God allowed Satan's power to flow through their um, propaganda to a point of genocide. Some six million Jews were murdered during the time of World War II. I remember as a kid, um, when we lived in Germany, I visited Dachau, one of the concentration camps. We went every year as a field trip, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, all, all those years. 
I went and visited this concentration camp. And one of the places I remember was their showering area. They would tell all the Jews to take off their clothes. Um, infants, uh, parents, men, women, children, everyone. And they'd go into the big showering area. Instead of water coming out of the faucet, there would be gas. And hundreds of them would be killed at a time. And then they would take those dead bodies over to what looked like a huge barbecue with a big rack on it, put the bodies on the barbecue, roll it in there, and they'd be cremated in the furnace. Experiments were done on all these different Jews that we wouldn't even perform on animals in our own country. You've seen the same movies, watched the same documentaries, I'm sure that I have, of all the mass murders, shootings that happened throughout Austria, Switzerland, Germany, Poland, France, all to further some doctrine stemming from a book called Mein Kampf that Hitler wrote while he was in prison, and it was published in 1925 and 1926. An estimated 6 million Jews killed. Some 50 to 80 million people total killed during World War II. At that time, it was about 3% of the world's population. 1.7 billion people approximately were involved in World War II. At that time, that was about three-quarters of the world population. Absolutely horrible, in some ways unmanageable, yet part of history... And it's true. What's even just as horrific, if not even more horrific, is the fact that since 1973, the United States alone has murdered some 58 million babies through abortion. The topic of abortion has definitely been in our faces over the last couple of years with all the controversy going on with Planned Parenthood. Um, you can... Look on the internet, you can watch YouTube, you just turn on the news and see all the different things that are going on with Planned Parenthood. I, I spent some time while I was preparing this message to go on there and see um, what the Planned Parenthood website had to say about their procedure and how they abort babies. The first method they talked about is a method called the aspiration method. And what they do in this method is they force open the woman's cervix and they enter um, with some feticide, which is usually potassium chloride, and they inject it into the fetus. And once they think the baby's heart has stopped, then they vacuum the baby out of the mom. This is done on babies that are up to 16 weeks old. At 16 weeks, a baby is around 3 to 5 ounces in weight. Its eyes are fully developed, although they can't open. And they can hear through the mom's tummy. The second method is called D and E, which stands for dilation and evacuation. And sadly enough, what it says on the Planned Parenthood website, so they try to dumb down the ter terminology, make it smooth, is they say they try to take extra care to make sure that the baby's heart has stopped before they begin the procedure. This procedure takes around 10 to 20 minutes, and it's done on babies that are over 16 weeks old. And they take a rod, they take the, the uh, syringe or the needle, and oftentimes they insert it through the mother's abdomen, directly into the baby's heart, and they give potassium chloride into the baby, and then they wait until they think the heart's been stopped, and then at that moment, depending on how big the baby is, if it's small enough, they'll vacuum out the baby. If it's too large to do that, then they'll begin dismembering the baby inside the mother. 
there's times, though, where they were wrong and the baby wasn't dead. And you can also go online and hear stories of people talking who said, this, this was done on me. And there, there's different side effects that have happened, but the, but the baby had, has lived. This same process is also performed on babies that are over 21 weeks old inside the mother. And at this point in time, the baby's taste buds are fully developed. They're around 11 ounces in weight. They're about the size of a large banana. I had a baby that was about that size that I was going to bring in and hold up. And at that point in time, a baby could often live on their own outside of the mother or with very little help from the doctors. You know, I did not enjoy researching any of this information about abortion. I forced myself to go on the Planned Parenthood website and read what happens. And I can't help but hurt seeing and hearing. I, I started to feel sick inside my stomach as I was putting it together. And they weren't even given, they weren't even calling it murder. And as you think about all the different wars that have been waged, different lives that have been killed, even in our own country, look at ISIS or whatever, and then to think about abortion and people who have been deceived into thinking it's just, a, it's just an operation that's okay to have, and the people that have fallen into that, it just makes you sick to your stomach. And the reason is because it's evil and God hates it. God is alone the author of life. All of creation is beautiful, but especially human life is beautiful. And we read about it in Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. If you would like, would you please turn there? Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In his image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Life is precious and holy, first and foremost, because God made us, and he made us in his image and likeness. I want to begin right at the beginning of these verses where we read, Then God said, Let us make man. Us, God, plurality, all three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit made you and I. He formed us in the womb. He wove us together. He's the one that did it all. And we see a clear, powerful picture of this. In Psalm chapter 139. If you would, could you turn there with me? This chapter is so powerful because it begins by showing us different attributes of God. You're going to notice that the first few verses of this chapter are going to talk about God's omniscience. The fact that he is all-knowing. Then it's going to go into God's omnipresence. The fact that God is everywhere at all times. And then it's building, it's building, it's building until it gets to a point where it describes how we were made in the womb. And that's God's omnipotence, his almighty power. We're going to see that he magnifies his power through the creation of you and I. Let's begin at verse 1. 
Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You reach out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God is all-knowing. That is so reassuring, especially when you think about it in terms of all the evil that we see in the killings, abortions, and different things, and we're going to come back to it. So that's God's omniscience. Now here goes his omnipresence. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or what shall I flee from from your presence? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. You can never leave his presence. You didn't even leave in his presence before you were in the womb. We're going to find that out here in just a second. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness. You might think you're confused about something, and you don't know if you should follow God. Well, you should, because in him there is no darkness. He understands it perfectly. That's why he's telling us how to live. That's why he's telling us what's important. Because he is God and we are not. You see the building here? God, you are all-knowing. God, you are everywhere. I can put all my trust in you. And then we come to the next verse in 13. And it starts with the word for. For. You are this great. For. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's why you praise God. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, which is also the womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Does that remind you of Ephesians chapter 1? He knew us before the foundations of the world. Babies are real. Babies were planned by God. He formed them. He doesn't make a mistake. We are not the author of life. He is. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. We need to understand how great God is before we can even get a glimpse of the value of our own lives. We see that so clearly in this chapter. 
all the focus is about God. We don't understand how valuable we are unless we can see how great our Creator is. God made, God made each one of us intricately and specially with great care. If you go to Colossians chapter 1, it even says that Jesus holds all things together. You realize that, that means that even all the way down to our molecular structure, everything about us, every, everything that, that makes water continue to stay water, my skin continue to stay skin, everything is held together by Jesus. We have value and importance first and foremost because God's power and love are magnified in his planning, designing, and developing of human life before conception and throughout pregnancy. Not only do we have value because God thought of us and formed us before the beginning of the world, before we were in the womb, we have value because you and I are made in the likeness and in the image of God. I always wondered what in the world um, that meant, though. Like, I have no clue what God the Father looks like. I have no clue what the Holy Spirit looks like, and I can guess, probably be a poor guess, of what Jesus looked like when he was here on earth. Um, so what exactly does it may, mean that we were made in his image and likeness? And like God does everywhere in the Bible, he lets Scripture interpret Scripture and gives us an idea of what he means by things. And he does this in Genesis chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, when he's talking about Adam and his son Seth. It says, male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Those are the same words used in both places, likeness and image. That helps us out tremendously, right? I think if we separated everyone in here, um, even if you didn't know people, you can start to guess, yeah, I think this is so-and-so's son or so-and-so's daughter based off of how we look. And if you started hanging around with one another, you might be able to pick up different inherited traits. Like, wow, yeah, this guy's doing the same thing. I was thinking about um, my own family, and uh, I was thinking about my dad, that guy. And I was thinking, you would probably be able to tell that I'm my father's son because we both have big noses. And... I, was, I used to be insecure about it when I was younger, and then I watched Top Gun, and I realized Tom Cruise also had a big nose. And so I thought there, there might be some hope there. But I also inherited some different traits from my father, like humming. My dad hums whenever he does something. If he's working on something, you always hear like that. And I realized, I thought it was really weird, and then I caught myself doing it. Um, I also... In, in, Learned from my dad his uh, sarcastic, dry humor, um, which I think is funny, and he thinks is funny, but nobody else <laughs> thinks is funny. <clears throat> so we can understand a little bit about what it means to be in his image and likeness. Um, by looking at our own families and seeing how 
we resemble them. Out of all of creation, we are the greatest of God's creation because we're made as a representation of God. We're similar to God, but we are not identical to Him. But we have been made far superior than anything else, including animals. One of those ways is morally. We know the difference between right and wrong. We can discern that. Animals can't. You might say, well, they, my dog gets scared whenever they do something wrong and then they run away with their, with their tail behind their legs. Well, that's because you've conditioned them and you've disciplined them in some way and so they're afraid they're going to be disciplined again. You don't have to tell a human it is wrong to murder. We know it. Humans are spiritual be- uh, beings. We pray and we fast. We have a relationship with our Creator. Mentally, we can think and we can reason with complexity. We're also very creative and artistic. Our relational aspects are deeper than animals. We can go far beyond the relationships that a pack of dog has. Right? Um, there's, it also, it, it amazes me, too, that there's this bond spiritually with my Christian brothers and sisters. I spend most of my time with non-Christians at work. And I have close friends at work. But it's nothing compared to the love that I have with my Christian brothers and sisters here at church. There's something deeper there. And when we think of like marriage, how close that is, and how even a love between a husband and wife is a picture of Christ's love for the church. There are some physical aspects that we have that are similar also to God. Um, I have no clue what God's nose looks like, or his eyes, his ears, his mouth, what his voice sounds like, or any of those different things. But I do know this. I know that he hears and I hear. He sees, I see. He can smell, I can smell. He speaks, and we can speak. So there's similar functions that we have. All of creation reflects the glory of God. But you and I are the only creatures that were created by God and commanded by God to imitate our Creator. This is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. We are special and we are a result of God's skillful workmanship, valued far above all the rest of creation. He thought of us before we were in our mother's womb and He knitted us together. Because of this, humans are set apart. There is a sacredness in life. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or non-Christian. We all have value because of God. If we deny this, if we deny that we have value, if we deny God's involvement in, in creating us, then we lose our value. We're not worth any more than animals. We lose our meaning. Genocide then becomes an option if God is removed. Abortion just becomes another medical procedure. Some of you might, though, ask, well, what about instances of incest and rape? Does the Bible give an opportunity then to have abortion? What does the Bible say about that? And the quick answer is the Bible says that it's wrong. There is nowhere in the Bible that it condones abortion. Two wrongs don't make a right. And I know 
some people will think, well, how insensitive is that? What if, what if every time that the mom looks at her son, she just sees resemblances of the guy that did that to her? How, how much she has to go through? So at that moment, are we saying that what is going to help you the most is the procedure of an abortion? Don't put your trust in the feticide, in the potassium chloride, in the needle that's going into the mother. If you're worried that you can't afford the baby, if you're worried that you're not going to be able to take care of the baby because the baby might have a, what we would call a birth defect or something, don't put your hope in abortion. Don't think that you're going to be healed by getting an abortion. Abortion is sin. It is trying to control what has happened. And it's leaving God out of the picture. In fact, it's deliberately ignoring what God is telling us to do. We need to remember that God is the one that can sustain life. God is the one that brings about healing. God is the one that magnifies everything throughout whatever situation He's put us in. And if we're Christians, as we sang this morning... There is the wonderful, wonderful verse that is all over the Bible. It says, God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. One of the saddest moments was when we were going to our prenatal care visits. Um, for me, when we, uh, it, we might have had this question for all kids uh, or, or counsel when, whenever we went to the doctor, but especially with Rocco, I remember um, the nurse was telling us that we can get a test done um, that would help us know whether or not our baby is going to be born with what they would call a birth certi- um, defect, Down syndrome, heart defects, sickle cell anemia, cystic fibrosis, so on and so forth. And so I thought, okay, so I asked the nurse, why do I want to know? And she said, well, in case you need to prepare or make some decisions. And I got a sickening feeling in my stomach at that point. It's not wrong to get this test. But what I was worried and sick about was a thought of, okay, if I got this done and the test result shows that my son's going to have Down syndrome, so what? Am I going to abort the baby? Naomi and I, we didn't have the test done only because we knew that God is it's God's child. He doesn't make a mistake. There's no defect. When you see someone with Down syndrome worshiping God and they're excited, do you think God loves them less than you? Do you think God's magnifying who He is less than that person? No. God is good. And guess what? If I have to spend more time taking care of my, my son or my daughter because it's a different sort of thing, they have a heart murmur or they have whatever going on, then God's going to use my love for the child and He's going to give me the grace I need to do what I need to do with that situation to show that He is good and He can sustain and He is going to give everything that you need. And that's the same truth that we can have And no matter what the topic is, it doesn't have to be abortion. 
went for, I, I, I walk away from that truth so many times in my own life. And I forget that God is all-knowing. God is always there. And God is powerful. And He always sustains. Fight for life through prayer and fasting. Join organizations and stuff like 40 Days for Life. You can go on the website and look at them and see what they're doing. Okay, don't be silent. Don't be silent. You know, I've always been against abortion, but it wasn't until I started putting together this sermon that I actually went on the Planned Parenthood website and forced myself to start looking at it. Okay, it, I hated it. It wasn't good. I felt sick about it. But you know what happened after I did that? I thought about it every day. I still think about it every day. It's stuck in my mind. I didn't even watch a procedure get done. I watched the dumbed-down version that's on Planned Parenthood. And so in my mind, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about these things, and it's, and it's not pleasant, but it forced me to pray. forced me to say, what can I do about it? Don't be stagnant in your faith. Do things that cause your emotions to be moved. Do things that make an imprint on your mind. Look at the Christians that are being persecuted all over the world and let that affect you so that you're not stagnant. God has given us um, His Word right here. And it says, the, the Word says that if we um, hide His Word in our hearts, it's going to kill sin in our lives. And we get a clear picture in Ephesians 6 about the power of God's Word. And then in uh, Hebrews it says that the Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, um, to the division of joint and mar- marrow, butchered part of that. But the fact is, is that it's powerful. The fact is, is that this is a spiritual thing. God can cut through everything that Satan's doing. And what we need to do is know his word and not be afraid to speak it. Not to be afraid to vote against what is wrong. Don't be silent when you're at the workplace and someone next to you is contemplating, should I get an abortion? And you're afraid to tell them what the truth of the Bible is because you think you're supposed to separate church and state. That's Satan. And the life of the baby is what's at stake. Even though none of us here um, are abortion surgeons or anything, we're all going to be held accountable for how we lived our lives here on earth. We're, are, the question is, is, are we fighting hard for the kingdom of God? Even though not everyone in the Nazi party um, was part of the military, everyone's going to be held accountable. Even the wife of the military soldier in the Nazi party is going to be held accountable for what she did. Even if she decided to not participate in any shooting or anything, and she just closed her eyes to all the uh, genocide that was going on around her, and she just enjoyed living the easy life amongst all the atrocity that was going on around her. Even she is going to be held accountable. November 20th, 1945 through October 1st, 1946 were when the Nuremberg trials were held in Germany. And at that time, all the Allied forces came together and 24 of the leading 
Nazi party members were put on trial. Not all 24 of those persons received the same sentence. Some of them were put to death. Some of them were put in prison for life. Some of them were put in prison just for a small period of time. Other ones were acquitted. But not one of them is going to be not held accountable by God. They are all going to be held accountable. Even the private in the Nazi military who might have felt like he was forced into the army out of fear for his own life is going to be held accountable. We need to remember that. We need to fear God first, not man. Fear the one that could put us in heaven or in hell, not the one who could take our own physical lives away. We've not been forced in supporting um, pro-choice, except for the fact that some of our taxes go to it. But we're living in a country that says that abortion is lawful. So the question is, is how are we going to respond to that? Silence is a response of support. You and I, I know this is true, we want to live our life to the fullest for Christ. We want to run the race and receive the prize. I am... Afraid to a certain degree of looking back at regrets in my own life. We are rich compared to the rest of this world. I definitely don't live like I'm on fire for Jesus all the time. And I'm so grateful for his grace and his mercy. There's a really powerful scene um, from the movie Schindler's List, that stuck with me the first time I saw it in high school. I think probably most of you have seen that movie. Mr. Schindler was a German who employed a large number of Jews. And he convinced the Nazi party to allow him to hire Jews in his factories to build things. And in doing so, he saved hundreds of their lives. And there's this powerful scene at the end where the Allied forces are closing in and Mr. Schindler has to leave. And there's this going away time where all the Jews are there with him. They're saying goodbye to Mr. Schindler and they present Schindler with a gold ring. They forged together. They got all these little pieces of gold that they could. They melted it down and made a ring for him and presented it to him. And Mr. Schindler begins to break, break down and cry on his knees and he says I'm so rich I could have done more and one of the Jews that he was his liaison he says you've done so much he knew inside his mind I, I could have done more and he looks over at his expensive car and he says five people he looks at his gold pin that he had right here he said two people That convicts me. For us, life is a vapor. And we have just a short opportunity to magnify Jesus. Are you living your life in such a way that when people look at you, they see a glimpse of your Creator? like to ask the ushers to come forward as we take communion right now.
in his forgiveness 
is at the center of everything. Everything points um, to our great Savior, Jesus. That's why we can look at different evils and think of different things that we've fallen short on. And we can lift our head up and we can be thankful. We can be thankful because uh, there, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. He's the only one that can save us. He's the only one that can work in us. Um, I didn't spend much time at all um, trying to give a little bit of um, help for someone that, that might have been in here that has maybe had an abortion or, or been part of it. Um, but that's where we're at here. Just like in Psalm 139, it built, it built on his greatness, on God's greatness. It went from his all-knowingness to being there all the time and his magnification in us. Um, we come to the height right now of his greatness. And that is his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. The best comfort that any one of us could ever have is remembering him. And just as he taught us to on the night that he was betrayed and he was with his disciples and he took up the bread and broke it and says, take this and eat of it in remembrance of me because this is my body that was broken for you. Let's remember him. with the broken body comes his blood that was shed for us and the wonderful, wonderful line that's in 1 Corinthians says this cup is the new covenant in my blood covenant he promises he promises us everything that he's ever promised has come about we need to remember that as, as we take this. You are free in Him. Sins are washed away. The power is in Jesus. Drink this. Do it with praise and thanks for how great He is and that His great love and mercy was shed and His blood was shed for us. God, we praise you because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Please minister to us and change us. Cause us to magnify you. We love you, Lord. Amen.